0: young man eventually uh, became so studied, he understood and read and, and wrote Hebrew and Greek along with his English language. He was a very smart guy, went to Oxford and Cambridge, and eventually uh, became a priest. He, he studied God's word and in the New Testament found justification by faith. Well, that just transformed his life. That transformed who he was and what he thought about, and he got on one specific mission to translate the Bible into the English language, and so he went out and set to do that, and he tried to seek funds, and he tried to uh, get a lot of things going, but no one was going to help him. Finally, he figured that out. He went to a secluded place and, and was able to translate the first Bible into English, and he, Sent that out, got, got some production of it, and, he, and it got smuggled into England. Well, obviously, Henry VIII wasn't happy about that, and, and uh, the, the Pope wasn't happy about that. Uh, Sir, Sir Thomas More, if you recall that name, he wasn't happy about it. In fact, Sir Thomas More called that New Testament the Testament of the Antichrist, And so, eventually, the authorities purchased every copy that got into England, which funded nine years' worth of more production and tweaks of of the New Testament and the starting of the Old Testament to be translated. Eventually, a a friendship went sideways that this gentleman had, and he was double-crossed and turned into the authorities he went to trial in netherlands and and stood there in trial for about nine months and while there he reflected on all of his writings understanding that you know what it doesn't matter what happens to me because i am on a mission from god and my whole purpose in life is to share the gospel in any way i can for him it was translating it into other languages Eventually, in October of 1536, he was pronounced a heresy. And he stood in front of a crowd of people, tied up to a block of wood with brush around him. And as he stood there, he got one more opportunity to say, I do not believe in what I just did, and I will follow the king, and I will follow the pope. Well, he refused to do that. That day, William Tinsdale had an iron rope put around his neck and a regular rope at the same time and with the cue of, of the governor, the executioner pulled the strings as tight as he could to choke them out. Then with gunpowder and other things added to the brush, they lit that on fire and burned them at the stake. But the message went forward. In fact, a century later, when they were uh, the, the authoritative, the King James Version was being written, they went to Tinsdale's copies, and eight out of ten times they used what he wrote, his translations. God used him in mighty ways. And, and we hear these stories all the time of, of martyrs. Tinsdale being one of, one of the most famous because of what he, his mission was to do. We hear about missionaries. We just heard about the prayer of a, for a missionary people who sell all their stuff in their home and and they pack up all their belongings that they have left and they go out and maybe they even learn a new language to go share the gospel. Great things. And we should applaud their service for what they're doing for the King of Kings. We should applaud what they're doing. But I'm here today as your pastor to remind you that you have a mission from God as well that it's not just these martyrs, it's not just the missionaries, but it's you as individuals here at this church and all the churches surrounding us. We have a mission, and it's a mission from God. I like the way John Piper, he put it. He said, the one supreme, all-pervading, all-unifying mission of your life is to joyfully and sacrificially declare and demonstrate that the glory of Christ is is more precious than life, and thus to help all people, including all the ethnic groups and all the religions of the world, discover the glory of Christ as their only hope of true and everlasting joy. It's along these lines, Understand that we all have a mission in our lives as believers, as people who who trust in Jesus Christ, that we're going to take another look at the life of Paul, at the life of his companions, and of his mission. We're now in the 21st chapter of Acts. We're going to do the first 14 verses. So if you haven't turned to the book of Acts, why don't you do that now? Uh, We're going to do the first 14 verses. And we'll try to unpack this. Acts chapter 21. And when they had departed from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patara, and having found a ship cross into Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and we went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children accompanied us, we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Telamai, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews in, at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Heavenly Father, that's what we desire that the will that you have, that it will be done in our lives, be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we can really dig into uh, this scripture, and before we can dig in, especially to points two and three that you have in front of you, uh, let's, get, let's put some context uh, to this passage, some context to this passage. First, we see that in our text is full of goodbyes and greetings. Full of goodbyes and greetings. In chapter 20, we saw Paul telling the Ephesians, he, he was telling them goodbye. And, and, and we saw him make all the rounds to Macedonia. I showed you on the map how he was going all through Macedonia, telling everyone he was greeting them. He, he was following through with the mission, but he was telling them Goodbye. He was showing he cared. He showed that he loved them. And every stop in our scripture today, Paul's meeting and greeting new friends. He's gathering people because he cares about them. Verse 4, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. The boat that they were sailing on, it was dropping off the cargo. And so it took about seven days to to get that cargo off and get more cargo on. And and there's a lot of transportation. And Paul and his, his companions, they could have... They could have gone to the local hotel, you know, the the sea facing hotel that had that hot uh, breakfast buffet every morning. Sit at the jacuzzi. They could have done that, but no, they sought. Scripture says they sought out disciples. They didn't even probably even know them, and they sought them out to to get that fellowship and and, and companionship. And, and and this this is that's the second point. Uh, is our text is is full of groups. It's full of groups of people that he's gathering together. And as he gathers with these groups, then he tells them goodbye. There, there's a farewell. And that, and that just happens all the time. We've talked about it here at Village Bible Church numerous times, that fellowship another with one another is absolutely crucial. Isolation is dangerous. Isolation can be very, very dangerous. There's a a time for that, a moment for that uh, in in your life, but not often. You need to be in fellowship with one another. Luke spoke of it earlier in Acts chapter 2. When everyone was giving their lives to to Jesus, what did they do? Luke 2, or uh, Acts 2 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to breaking of bread with one another. Fellowship with other believers is crucial. Acts 21 verses 5 and 6, they talk about the goodbyes and the groups. When our days there ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us to the outside of the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed with one another. So all the people would would go, and this was actually a tradition that they had in Back in those days, when you were visiting with somebody, they would go with you on the journey for a couple miles. You know, I mean, we, when someone visited our house, everybody is required to, you know, go to the door and say goodbye, give hugs or whatever. When I was growing up, we had this huge picture window in the kitchen. And every single time my dad went to ComEd, he would go to work, everybody who was in the house would go to that window and would stand at that window, and we'd wait for Dad to drive out in his car, who would go right past the window, and we'd all be waving, and he'd honk. To this day, when we leave my mom's house, she's at the window and waving, and we honk. We say our farewells. We say our goodbyes. These people, they all went out to the beach. The wives, the children, everyone. They went to the beach, and they knelt on the sand together and they prayed. This is where he he just met them. Yet with this fellowship, even for seven days, he built those deep relationships. Because you know what? If we visit somebody, if I'm in Ethiopia, if I'm in, in Dallas, and you meet another Christian, you all of a sudden have that bond, don't you? And, and, I mean, even if if I'm in an Ethiopia, and I meet somebody who's from New York, just the the English language is a bond. Now you take it a step deeper with your, your faith with them. Man, that is solid. I remember that that in college all the time. I'd get together with Christians, and you'd happen to find out that they're a Christian. You're like, oh, my goodness, it's so great to see you. I've done it in my workplaces. But that's what they're doing. They're gathering as groups, and then they're saying goodbyes. Verse 7, we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. Verse 8b, we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him, fellowship with with other people, not trying to isolate yourself, not trying to stay in your own clique. Because that's what Paul could have done. He was with companions. We know he was with Luke, but Luke always comments about the others as well. He could have just stayed with them, and he could have just really devoted himself to those people. But no, he wanted to keep. Bringing in more and more and more people to to this group, verse after verse, stop after stop, Paul met groups and he met people he met with them, he stayed with them, he prayed with them, and eventually he said goodbye to them and that's what we do in life we 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 hang out with people, we talk with people, we pray with them we we love them, and eventually we say goodbye whether whether it's it's physically goodbye or it's uh Eternally, we'll see you on the other side. Bottom line, Paul was gathering friends and disciples in order to offer encouragement. Paul was an encourager. It's not what his name meant, but we see it over and over that he encouraged. He was focused. He was focused on this mission. Even though he was offering the encouraging, even though there was a lot of things coming in at him, he was focused on one thing, his mission from God. And his mission from God was spreading the gospel, and in this case, also getting to Jerusalem. And that's where our text offers us some interesting twists and turns, because there's a lot of guidance. That's the next point, guidance. Guidance by brothers and sisters in Christ, and guidance by the Holy Spirit directly. Verse 4 again, and having sought out the disciples, we we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul, what were they telling Paul? Paul don't go to Jerusalem. Guidance. Do not go there. Verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. We didn't hear what, she, what these ladies prophesied ever. More about that later. We don't know what they were exactly saying. But, but then, verse 11, we see Agabus come in, and Agabus puts the belt on and, and, and straps himself, and, and he prophesies as well and says, hey, you're going to get bound up. Paul, Stay away from Jerusalem. And then, and then in the next verse, Luke says, we all joined in. We said, don't go to Jerusalem. Lots of guidance going on. But we see that Paul was guided as well by the Holy Spirit, just the same as these guys. Lots of guidance by believers in different places. So we're going to do our best to unpack the Scripture so we can kind of understand... What, what it's, what's happening, because we want to be following God's will without fear. But there's sometimes there's fear that, that sneaks into our lives. We're a little bit scared about that. So first, there was confusion surrounding the plan. What's the plan? The plan was simply that Paul was to fulfill a mission to minister uh, and to encourage the poor in Jerusalem. We see that over and over and over. Romans 15:23 through28. Remember, he, he wrote the book of Romans. Uh, it probably was in uh, Corinth, where he wrote that book. I gave you the whole map and was talking to you about all of it. That's probably where he wrote the book of Romans. Romans 15:23 says, "But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I want to come to Rome. I'm, I'm trying to come to Rome." I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. So I'm going to go to Jerusalem, then I'm going to go to Spain. And on my way to Spain, I'm going to stop in Romans. I'm going to stop at Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. So, so he's saying, I am coming there. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get to Spain, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to stop at Rome, and, and this is my mission. I've been guided by the Holy Spirit that I, I must go to Jerusalem. Paul's mission was to take that money, and, and he wanted to stop in, in Rome to minister to the Jews, to the Gentiles and to the Christians who were already there. But there was definite confusion around this plan that was given to the Holy Spirit. The confusion compounded several different things. First, it was compounded by the unknown future. By the unknown future. Luke, the other companions like Paul, they didn't know the future. Paul didn't know exactly what was going to happen to him, but he had an idea because he was being guided by the Holy Spirit. He had been directed multiple times. In fact, remember Paul says, I don't know what awaits me every turn. I could be killed on my next turn. I don't know when my next breath is going to be breathed out. I was just talking about that uh, right before the service. We don't know what's going to happen in the next three minutes, let alone in the next several months. But we, we do know that we serve God. We do know that we, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, have a mission. The companions and the fellow believers in Christ, they didn't know the future either. Yet, they were scared. We saw that frequently. They were scared for their lives. They were scared for Paul's life. Along the journey, Paul kept getting some unsettling advice. That's the next point. And this this advice was coming from many different people. This is why there was great confusion amongst them, because some people were saying, do not go. You're going to get hurt. Other people were saying, do do what you think, man. Love the Lord, and this is awesome to see, great to see. Paul, he was focused. But we did see Paul got himself out of danger at different times. We saw uh, in uh, Ephesus... When all the crowd was getting crazy, and, and he allowed the disciples to pull him out so he wouldn't speak to, to all the people in Ephesus, so he would be protected. We saw that numerous times Paul has got out of danger. But in this case, Paul's focused. He believes that he's strongly to go to move forward. Why? Why is he doing that? Because he has an unshakable calling. He has an unshakable calling to serve the Lord. In this particular way, it was about bringing the funds to Jerusalem. About blessing the people there. We saw it with William Tinsdale. He had an unshakable calling to move forward with the with the interpretation to write it in English. So all his, his country could read God's word for themselves. We see that all the time. Where people have an have unshakable calling. I remember it was October of 2009. I, I, I was a principal at, at, at Oswego at Southbury Elementary School. It was my second year there. As a 33-year-old, I, I got a, a big principal job, making a lot of money. Everything was, 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 was great, but I had this weird desire to be a, uh, an administrator at a Christian school. My good friend Matt Davidson, he was uh, a superintendent at a Christian school. He had been at Aurora Christian as a principal there, and that's probably why I was definitely excited about the thought of it, that I could share the gospel with, with parents freely. I could talk to kids about God. I could talk to, to, the, to the staff members about God I was really excited about that. But I got to a point where I said, you know what, the only place I will go is where my buddy is, the superintendent. That's the only place I'll go, God. I'm not going to look at anywhere else. You see, I had a a school of 100-plus staff members. I had 800 kids at my school doing great. Everything was good. But when I made that proclamation... That was contrary to what I had done my entire life as a believer. My whole life as a believer, I was like, man, I'll go wherever God puts me. I don't care if it's Africa. How ironic. Uh, I mean, I remember saying those things. But this time, I put God's will in a box. And I said, it has to be at this location with this person in leadership. Well, you know what? My life turned into Jonah at that time I had two major situations going on at school that were giving me so much heartache I don't remember what one of them was one of them was some random thing and the other one was uh, uh, a parent was so mad that as Maddie and Allie would walk through the hallways because they were at my school I would hug them so I was showing affection to my own children in my school, where I was the principal, where his kids came, and he wrote letters to the superintendent, he wrote me nasty emails, and it was costing me hours and hours and hours of time and it was such a pain it, but it was when we reflect on it, it was just like Jonah. It was the waves were coming on me because I put god 's will in a box I was in in the bathroom in October. Of, of that year, of, of 2009. Getting ready for school, brushing my teeth or something. And I just remember an unshakable calling by the Holy Spirit. I was praying silently, and all of a sudden I was just shaken to the core. And I said verbally, okay, God, I will go wherever you want me to go. And I am here to test, to give you the testimony today that at that very moment I received a text from the district office saying that one issue was dealt with. I went into school minutes later, opened up my email, and the parent had emailed me apologizing, just saying, I- I'm okay, we're done. Are you kidding me? But it was an unshakable calling I felt at that moment, to say it's all about you, God. It doesn't matter the random advice I'm getting from from other people. It doesn't matter all these other things. I'm focused in on what you desire, not what I desire. Unshakable calling. I didn't know what my future held, though. I couldn't predict the future, just like Paul. Paul. He couldn't predict his future. He had an idea. I had no idea what my future held at all. Maybe more to that story later. Paul, his unshakable calling caused him to move forward despite all of the continuous advice he was getting. And when we don't know the future and you keep getting advice from other people, but you have an unshakable calling, you need to seek clarity so that you can address it. See clarity so you can address it. And there are three indispensable truths when facing this decision. The first is that spirit-directed people can see things differently. And I think this is important to, to understand that people that love Jesus Christ, people that are, are trying to be led by the Holy Spirit in their lives, they can see things actually different and that's okay. We see that in here. Paul, Luke, several others, believers in Jesus Christ, they see things differently. Paul said in Acts 20, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Compelled by the Spirit. Paul's being directed to go to Jerusalem. He didn't know what was going to happen. He knew that he just kept getting these warnings. Paul said in Romans, in, the, in chapter 8, he said, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering sin, uh, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, Paul was not scared of suffering for Jesus Christ. He wasn't scared of suffering. Several other people, though, who also were serving Christ, warned Paul to not go to Jerusalem. Agapus, he was prophesying, saying, you're going you're to suffer. Don't go to Jerusalem. Luke, Luke himself, said, don't go to Jerusalem. We don't want you harmed. We don't want you to do this. But I can tell you that spirit-led decisions sometimes lead to suffering. And Paul understood this. Our decision, our decisions that we make, even when directed by the Holy Spirit, can cause us great pain. Daniel in the lion's den, he said, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to pray to the king. Throw me in the lion's den. Feel free. Daniel could have suffered being eaten alive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, very similar time, very similar story. They they faced going into the the furnace. They got it so hot in order to kill them, in order to to cause them to suffer, and and they didn't feel one thing. But people have to be willing to suffer. William Tinsdale was willing to suffer. Are you willing to to suffer when God is leading you to something? That's a a loaded question. Many a people have been asked to suffer or to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. Are you willing to suffer for your faith? Kids standing up for Christ at, at school sometimes causes them to be mocked or to not have friends the rest of their high school career. Are you willing to do that? Because from a kid's standpoint, high school is eternity. It lasts forever. And it's the most important thing in the world. And it is to them at that time. At work, are you willing to keep sharing the gospel, keep sharing the word, even though you're being told, Do not speak about God. Are you willing to risk that? I I have given up jobs in recent past because I'm standing up for the gospel, because I will not mock my Savior. I will not focus on other things except for Jesus Christ. If you're a follower in Christ, you should be seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit. Bottom line, you need to be seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit. And there are times, sometimes there's a lot of times, that these decisions that you believe in from the Spirit, that you're going to suffer. But one thing that you can be confident about is that Spirit-empowered Christians will be shown the way. They will be shown the way. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful. Amen? He is all-powerful. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Luke 135. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He is the all-powerful. We know that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The Holy Spirit is who guided Jesus from temptation. Luke 4.1-2, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit of the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, And he ate nothing during those days, and when they ended, he was hungry. The Holy Spirit allowed Jesus to heal the sick and the wounded. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you truly give your life to Jesus Christ, when you acknowledge that he is your Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that you've been forgiven because of what he has done, and, and that you understand that Jesus not only died, but was resurrected and eventually ascended into heaven so that the Holy Spirit can come here and be with believers, when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes in you. The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, the instant you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you and indwells within you forever. 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 That is amazing to understand. That is crucial to understand. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We live a life of Repentance for our personal sin, and we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we are provided with the ability for clarity. That's what the Holy Spirit gives you. It gives you clarity, similar to that of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? That we literally could have clarity very similar to God himself. Now, we can't be perfect. We can't be all perfect holy we can't be all knowing and omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent we we don't have that capability but we do have the capability to to reflect Jesus Christ the holy spirit his entire job is to point us to Jesus Christ that's his entire job and when we commune with God and we seek the holy spirit for guidance that is what the Holy Spirit leads us towards, is fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given us. And that is, that's the clarity that we should be desiring. That's the clarity I desire. Paul was empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see it over and over and over. We see that he wants to go this way. Oh, no, good you can't go that way. The Holy Spirit led him to another direction. So he goes this way. Nope, nope. Not not this way. And so he goes in the middle. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. Don't go to to the Asian people, the Asian countries uh, that he wanted to go at one point. He's being led to a different place. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And and Luke actually shows us an interesting parallel between Luke, or between Paul and Jesus. Both of them were on a mission a focused mission, being led by the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem for a potential demise. Now, Jesus, he knew what was coming before him. Paul didn't have that foreknowledge. That's why Jesus was, was uh, sweating blood, because he knew exactly what was about to happen. Paul was, was, being, um, was getting clarity from the Holy Spirit he had a good idea of what was coming, but he didn't know fully. But they were both being led there, and they were both being told, do not go. Remember uh, Peter? Peter said, Jesus, you will not have to die. I will not let you die. Peter was, was before this. He was lifted up pretty high because he said, "He said, who, who do you say I am, guys? And Peter goes, you are Jesus The anointed one, you are the Messiah. He's like, you're right. Peter had to feel real good. The next minute, Peter's like, I'm not going to let you die. And what did Jesus say? He said this, get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. And that is the difference. That is the difference. We, and I'm saying all of us probably, in some sense, we put our things on things of this world. We think practically. When I, we, we were going to uh, decide of what Christian school, I applied at one Christian school in the end. After a lot of weird things, I applied to one Christian school, got a call from them the day I applied, and, and I got that position and was named the superintendent there. And those 18 months that we were at that job, there were some fun and exciting times, but there were many times that it was horrible, absolutely horrible. Stuff I I was suffering, and my my chaplain who I brought in there, uh, an older gentleman, about 70 years old, great man of God, he said, "Don't worry, you've got a target on your back from Satan, and you're gonna you're gonna feel it." And we felt it, big time. But it was a calling from God. Jacob and Reggie would never have been in our family if we wouldn't have gone there. If we wouldn't have followed that calling. If that that October morning at 85 Old Post Road, I didn't heed the calling of the Holy Spirit of what he was guiding me towards and leading my family towards. It doesn't matter the pain and the suffering that we felt by going there and the things that we've come through. That is the focus of man. You see, God has a way bigger plan than we have. And focusing on God's plan rather than man's plan is where we need to get to, and we do that through communion with the Holy Spirit. And Paul is telling his companions very similar. I'm following the Holy Spirit. I get you. I hear you. I understand that there's danger lurking, but I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul could have been wrong. If you're a good student of Uh, of the Bible. Maybe you've spent time studying this, and and maybe you've read commentaries. There are many commentaries that say, Paul made a mistake here. He shouldn't have gone. He shouldn't have gone. doesn't matter that he was being led there. He should have waited a little bit longer, and and then he wouldn't have gone to jail because he would have uh, avoided that. And they paint the picture of how that probably would have looked. But my vantage point is that That's where he should go because he was being led and and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, And whatever happens to you, whether imprisonment or not, or even death eventually, it shouldn't matter because as Jesus said, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. We need to set our mind on things of God. All right, some conclusions. You and I can discern God's will by holding confidently to the Word of God. By holding confidently to the Word of God, Hebrews four twelve. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the words of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. See, when you are struggling what to do and how to move forward, where do you go? God's word. You seek God's word. That's how you can hold confidently, you can discern what his will is because you seek his word. You, you, you seek it, for guidance for how you're to move forward and to see what, what God has to say. Along that exact same vein is that you pray continually in the Spirit of God. Romans 12 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Hebrews 4, 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Colossians 4, 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You know I could do about 50 verses easily just about prayer. Seeking God through his word, seeking him through Praying to him and, and humbling yourself before him, that will give you understanding and clarity of what God's will is for you in your life. Thirdly, listen closely and carefully to the people of God. Proverbs 12:15: "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice." Proverbs 11:4. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. It is important for each of us to seek out guidance from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's vitally important. For big decisions, small decisions, I think it's crucial. That's why we suggest to our kids, come to us as the parents. We don't have all the answers, but we do have wisdom that comes from scripture, that comes from prayer. Come to us, and we will try to guide you. Go to your youth pastor. Go to to somebody that you trust that loves Jesus Christ. That's why when you're dating, and and when you're, 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 you're trying to get with a partner, you want to be with someone who loves Jesus Christ, because now you're in you're, you're in counsel with someone who loves the Lord. But listen to this. They may give you advice, and they may not have the right advice for you. And that's where wisdom starts coming in. That's where understanding and clarity from Jesus Christ comes in, where you are spending time in God's Word, you're spending time in prayer, and you're going and seeking advice from others. They don't know all of the situation, but they may have some clarity that they can offer to it. And wisdom comes through the counsel of many. And and just like anything else, people could argue both directions. They They can say different contradictory things, and they're all seeking the Lord. Finally, you should live courageously for the gospel of God. Live courageously for the gospel of God. Courage is essential for both spreading and persevering the truth of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 24, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because my name. We saw that in last week's message as well. Paul warned the Ephesian disciples. Here's his warning. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come to me in among you and will not spare the flock and as proverbs 28 says be bold as lions in your faith be bold as lions wait on the lord for he will be the one to give you courage allowing you to be filled with the holy spirit knowing that the one who is with you is greater than the one who is trying to attack you our god is sovereign amen our god is sovereign from martyrs like William Tyndale to missionaries like Paul to people right in this congregation. I leave you with this final word, and it's from Joshua 1, which, which Tom read today already, and it's in my message. Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. Where? Where? Wherever you go, wherever you go.